the Culture Guy podcast. This is the first episode of August 2016. Welcome back, everybody. Guest with me who hails from Australia but lives in Singapore. Welcome back again to the Culture Guy podcast, first episode of August 2016. And before we go talk to our guest today, I would like to point out to you that we have a little more content on the website, on the blog section. So if you're ready to dive in there, go to theculturemastery.com forward slash blog with all the latest and greatest. Um, we create a new white paper, so make sure you sign yourself up for the newsletter and make sure that you stay in touch with us. Also, we would appreciate your feedback on this program, on which kind of guests you'd like to see here. We're always open for suggestions, and we've got a few guests already lined up for this program, so we'd love to add new names to the list. And with that... um, I want to say thank you for staying patient with us. Um, we're still prepping the first webinar. We've settled on content. We've settled on the technology. So you should be able to plug into that soon. You will get an email from us informing you on how to um, can participate in the webinar, how you can get your name on the list. So just make sure you stay on the radar with us and um, maybe check your spam box. Maybe once in a while our newsletters go into your spam folder. Um, And if you don't get our newsletter yet, well, I said it before, theculturemastery.com. That's where you put your name and your email on the list. Today, I would like you to introduce you to a friend of mine and um, also an expert in crossing cultures. I met her in the United States at a training program that we both attended, and she is, um, well, how, how do I explain this? She is a HR and information technology expert. So she's worked in HR before. Now she's a lead person in her organization. She's an IT um, senior executive for a multinational organization which has its headquarters in the United States. The company shall remain unnamed because with these big corporations, sometimes we need to be a little careful whether we name the company because they may have some legal teams who want to listen to the podcast for. So let's just forget about the company that she works for. Suffice it to say, it's a Fortune 500 company and they work in medical devices, pharmaceutical and and other consumer goods that you may have come across in your local grocery store or your pharmacy. 
Her name is Stephanie Burrows, and I'm going to let her explain how we met and how she ties into this program. And welcome today with Stephanie Barros, or is it Barros? And how do I say your name right, Stephanie? Well, Christian, I think you pronounce it better than uh, <laughs> I do, because with my Australian accent, I say Barros. <laughs> and your name is of, is it Portuguese or Spanish origin? Uh, I've been told that the surname is Portuguese. All right. So which brings us to your very interesting individual multi-ethnic background so you hail from Australia originally however there's a multitude of ancestry behind that right correct so I am a first-generation immigrant so both my parents immigrated to Australia in their mid-teens with their families um, both hailed from the Philippines from a birth perspective but their cultural backgrounds are a mix of English, Spanish, Portuguese, and German predominantly. All right. So which languages were spoken in the home then? Uh, my mother speaks Tagalog, and so Tagalog is the native language of the Philippines, mm -hmm. and Spanish because the Spanish occupied the Philippines for quite a number of years, 300 I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, and my father speaks Spanish and he also speaks Cantonese because whilst he was born in the Philippines, when he was six months old, his family migrated to Hong Kong. So he learned to speak Cantonese. So they both spoke a different language themselves, but then they spoke Spanish to each other in the home and English to us. They, they reserved Spanish to be able to speak to each other, so we didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> oh, so did you as a child ever pick up uh, another language other than English? No, we tried at various times, um, particularly Spanish. I grew up in Australia in the 70s, which was a very white Australia at that time. And, you know, the I guess the peer group that I grew up with to speak a different language would be more of an oddity and something to poke and point at and be different. So I resisted it. So I can understand my parents. I can't understand anyone else speaking Spanish, but obviously with growing up with them and listening to their version of Spanish, I can get the gist of what they're saying to each other. All right. So now you and your family, you have chosen to live outside of Australia. You've been living in Singapore for how many years now? Uh, two years now. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was, a, um, it was an opportunity that I got with work um, and... To be honest, I'd resisted moving for quite a long time. My my view on moving was, why did I need to move? Australia is a fairly multicultural. Um, I could most of the roles that I'd had, whether they were local, regional, or global roles, I was able to do from Australia and travel. And you know, I was told that I needed it from my development perspective because you know it's different living out of your country. And you know, I resisted it and resisted it, but mm -hmm. they were right. <laughs> and <laughs> they were certainly right. Wouldn't you love to speak just a little bit of Cantonese now in Singapore with that? Uh, I would like to speak multiple languages <laughs> in Singapore, yet my children. So we've been here for two years, and I have a 15-year-old daughter, a 9-year-old son, and a 6-year-old daughter. And obviously, two years ago, they were two years younger. Um, the, old, the older one was a little bit too old, but the two younger ones started Mandarin class. So they go to the Australian school, the Australian International School here in Singapore, but they do Mandarin every single day. So from the minute they started school, they do Mandarin every single day. And the two of them can have conversations with each other in Mandarin. It's amazing. My husband and I just look at them <laughs> amazed. 
lovely. And you moved to Singapore in a more, is it a global or a, a, a regional role for your company? I, I know you work in IT, right? And, and the two of yes, us, just full disclosure yes. for the audience, Stephanie and I, we, we've worked together in, in, in a few capacities. That That's how we met. We did meet in North America, though. And um, I, I was uh, happy to, to hear about her, her global involvement in her company, which makes her a fantastic candidate for this podcast. So well, what is your, what is your uh, uh, international role within your organization? Yeah, so the role that I had before prior was um, the head of IT for Australia New Zealand. And so the role that I have now is uh, head of one of, the, one of the IT divisions for Asia Pacific. Um, so as part of that, it's, it's a global team, obviously, and, and so I lead Asia-Pacific. It just it does mean leading the region as opposed to a country. Then um, the multinational I work for is headquartered out of the U.S., and so I spend a lot of time now, obviously, traveling within Asia and to the U.S. So you, you're one of the many people that I've talked to that work in your time zone that have to report to uh, U.S. time zones, and Correct. it is a nightmare f if you don't get your day in order, right? My day starts usually at 6 a.m. and finishes because I've I've put the discipline in myself, and that's one of the learnings for anybody doing these sorts of roles. You know, when you work for a multinational, and particularly if they're headquartered in a completely different time zone, you've got to you've got to come up with your own discipline, but. I finish my work day usually around 11 p.m. because early in the morning um, is, you know, sort of evening in U.S. East Coast. So, you know, there might be a call at 6 a.m. my time. Um, then, of course, I go to work and, you know, I deal with Australia and New Zealand and then I deal with the rest of Asia, then I deal with India, then I'll go home and, you know, you know, I have very, I'm fairly rigorous about this. I'll go home at a certain time, usually at about 6 p.m., and from 6 p.m. to 7.30, that's my time with my kids and my family, my husband. We have dinner together, and then we get the kids into bed, and then I start my evening. So usually from about 7.30, 8 o'clock, I'm usually on calls with the U.S. up until about 11. Oh, wow. And looking back now that you in, in the beginning you were a little reluctant to make this move now you understand uh, how beneficial it is for your professional development how would you how would you describe it as beneficial in in a personal situation with a family with a husband with three children how would you describe the the balance between benefits and challenges it's been it's been it really has been such an eye-opening experience and I really didn't expect it to. The family settled way quicker than I expected them to. I probably took the longest to settle. Uh, I think it helped for my children that they didn't change school systems. So for them, whilst culturally their surroundings are very different and you know what we do in terms of our leisure time is very different than perhaps in Australia, their schooling was still of the same, uh, you know, type of curriculum and way to teach. And, you know, whilst the school is about five times bigger than the school that they went to in Australia, you know, given Australia's feeling multicultural, you know, the, the mix of students and that they were used to. So, you know, for the kids, I think that made the transition very easy. My husband works for himself, so he's fairly portable, so he was happy. And, of course, in Singapore, you can get, 
help in the home and because he is the one at home, he is in his element because now he has help in the home and he can focus solely on his business as opposed to trying to divide his time between, you know, housework, the children and the business. At least now he can focus on the business and spend time with the kids. So he's extremely happy about that. This is a uniquely great situation in your family and I was about to to ask that question because in the past 30, 40 years when we talk about expatriate assignments, more often than not is it the, the, the working partner is the male and the, the, the mother or the, the female partner is often was often referred to as the trailing spouse or the non-working <laughs> spouse, all these derogatory uh, kind of sexist terms. Um, now that we live in, in the 21st century with more and more leadership roles and international leadership roles like you being filled with, with competent women, how would you describe the challenge of being an expatriate as a woman in in an international business and as a mother to on top of that is it, do you find that there is a, a one or two added layers of complexity surprisingly mind you my husband still gets referred to as the trailing spouse but surprisingly <laughs> <laughs> surprisingly it has been easier for us here in singapore because he He quit the corporate world uh, about two years before we moved to Singapore. And for those two years in Australia when he was the parent at home, so he was the one doing everything with the kids, he was doing the housework and the shopping and everything, he was trying to get his business running, he struggled more uh, emotionally and also to, to build a network than we have in Singapore because in Singapore, there are more trailing. Well, there are more men at home. So, in the condo that we live in, there's uh, probably about half a dozen that are all at home, and and the women are at work, and it's the women that are, are here for their assignments. So, in fact, for us being here for him, it, it's it's been you know it, it's been great because he's got much more um, you know of a social network and community and support of people in the sort of the same situation. So. From that perspective, it's actually made it easier for us at home with the help and for him from a social and from a, a networking perspective. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, you're never going to get away from the fact that mothers and fathers and families have some relationships and some roles that will always exist and so you'll never get away from the mother's guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, you know, I, I've... I've always been working I've only ever been at home when um, I was on maternity leave so you know I guess I've over the years come to terms with and found my way to deal with that I mean I think to some degree our kids I hope and feel that they don't suffer they you know they've always grown up in the household where either mum and dad were working and we um, you know we had help from extended family and or dad's been at home so but then they feel like they've always had somebody That'll be a nightmare then for your husband going back to to Australia after your. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> he's not so keen on that. <laughs> um, w- w- where is home in Australia? Sydney or where are you guys Correct. from? All right. Yes. So, um, w- which isn't too far away from Singapore. So it was. What is it? A, a three, oh, four hour flight. Hour. To- I, no, no. Australia actually is a lot further away than most people think. No, Sing- Singapore just needs eight hours. It's on the because we're on the east coast, whereas oh, well. Singapore to Perth, which is the west coast, is three hours. See, that that was my my <laughs> uh, p- 
North American slash European ignorance right there. So it's not not, not <laughs> that close after all. So no. um, com- coming from 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 the east coast of Australia, which arguably is probably rather diverse, and pro- Sydney is probably more diverse than um, many other parts of, of North America. Um, coming into Singapore with three very pronounced subcultures the the chinese the malay and and the indian culture amongst others how how did you fit in in the workplace and socially in the beginning were, were there any challenges that that are noteworthy I, i i mean i like to say that you know growing up in australia i you know it is a very multicultural uh, country and You know, it is considered a melting pot. So I feel like we've grown up in, you know, and I and I went through the era where we weren't so tolerant as a as a culture and as a as a country. But you know, at the point that we moved, you know, fairly used to having multiple, you know, multicultural. But I will say the biggest aha for us is Australia is multicultural, but it definitely is a melting pot. What we realized moving to Singapore is Australia is still very dominant from the perspective that they expect cultures to integrate so there is it is a melting pot right you force everybody to mesh together whereas when you come to Singapore as you as you are quite rightly identified it is distinct and separate subcultures the beauty of Singapore and you know what Lee Kuan Yew set up was that the country is tolerant of all cultures and they don't expect them to integrate so it's 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 very strange growing up in a multicultural environment thinking I'm very tolerant you know I you know I I'm used to multiculturalism you know I'm I have no problem with all different cultures but what you realize is everyone had been forced to integrate so there is some homogeneous you know there is some homogeneous culture there whereas when you come to Singapore the cultures are so extremely different even though you know the people you're interacting with might look the same as they did in Australia They're very distinct cultural subgroups. So for us, that was a huge eye opener. And in terms of challenges, I don't, I don't know that it presented us really with any challenges other than it was a huge eye opener, and we had to be a little bit more careful about, mm-hmm. you know, trying not to make those cultural faux pas. Mm-hmm. The may I assume that you did make some faux pas despite your awareness uh-huh. of it? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think. Again, in Singapore, we're pretty lucky. You know, most people are fairly tolerant, right? So they they are very culturally distinct, but also very tolerant. So, yeah, absolutely, make mistakes all the time. I think the biggest look for me, and again, I attribute this to growing up in Australia. It can be good and it can be bad, but you know, in Australia, they have something called the tall poppy syndrome. So you don't stand out from anyone. You basically accept everybody for the way they are. You don't you don't look at people with different hierarchies, no matter what their titles. You treat everybody, you know, with respect and the same. And so, I always feel like, so long as I own up to the cultural faux pas, you know, doesn't matter who it is. You just treat human beings as human human beings and be respectful. And you know, I've never been in a situation where it's been so bad that it's caused any sort of angst or trauma. So. With your egalitarian tendencies that you, mm. you you experienced in your in your homeland, have you found 
that in in your role as 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 a leader as a female leader in in, in <laughs> singapore you you had to adjust your leadership style once in a while to be more uh hierarchical or even authoritarian in order to to get the best out of your team i wouldn't say i adjusted my leadership style but you're absolutely right in that i had to recognize the different cultures expected leaders to act in a certain way And when that didn't happen, they were put off. And so I have had to have some very explicit, distinct conversations with my team because my team is, whilst I'm located in Singapore, my team is located all over Asia. Uh, and, you know, we, I mean, we don't see each other face to face. We maybe come together face to face once a year. Uh, so we are really a virtual team. And so I do travel a lot because I do want that FaceTime with them and, and as part of that FaceTime is really explaining to them, not necessarily because I'm Australian, but just because me as an individual and as a leader, this is my style and this is how I like to lead. But yes, it did definitely present some challenges and continues to if I'm not, you know, if I don't, if I'm not cognizant and aware and, and keep having those conversations because, you know, the different cultures absolutely have different ways of, of working and expecting, uh, you know, and dealing or relating to their leaders. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and for me, you know, I'm absolutely, I want empowerment and accountability. I want people to, you know, go off and work within, you know, the role that they have and the boundaries that they have and, and be effective and high performing. But you have to motivate that and create that environment in different ways for the different cultures. And, and I, I would imagine that it, the, it, it might be hard to, to implement some corporate culture standards that are set by your North American headquarter <laughs> or your mothership um, when you're dealing with your teams in, I don't know, in Malaysia or in India. I, I don't know where your team is located throughout, throughout Southeast <laughs> Asia, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming you, you'll have a very diverse behavioral Uh, mosaic there that does not necessarily fit the mold of expectation coming out of North America, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, predominantly I have team members in Japan, Australia, China, the Philippines, uh, India, Singapore, primarily the countries mm -hmm. wow. um, where the team located. And so, yes, very different, very uh, different country cultures. I have to say I'm fairly lucky and the organization that we work for has a very strong co corporate culture and a strong code of ethics mm -hmm. um, and it's one that I'm very personally aligned to mm -hmm. and I do believe in some ways that helps to hold commonality for the group um, in terms of whilst there is strong country subcultures, there is a corporate culture that tends to be something that everybody has, you know, understands. Mm -hmm. um, There are absolutely nuances that come down from, um, you know, headquarters, which which is very North American centric. But look, you know, as I've said to my team, and and for me, our role and our responsibility is to really give them the feedback when it doesn't work, mm -hmm. because we we do represent the region. And what we're trying to do is make sure that we can be as effective in the region, uh, you know, so that we can have global global deployment. So. 
um, and, you know. and, and I have to say, and this is, is, is speaking from my own experience, and I've had the pleasure of meeting Stephanie's team or a huge part of her team at, at an annual gathering of their, of their company in, in North America. And I was very impressed with the cohesion in the group and with, with the way um, the, these different ethnicities and nationalities on your team, how they interact and how they gel at, at an event like this where they're all of them are basically out of their native water and they have to uh, build rapport with with corporate teammates they see once a year um it was it was beautiful to see that in action so uh, thank you guys at least in your department you're doing a marvelous job in in building that corporate culture on top of the national or ethnic cultures you have represented there yeah i mean thanks <laughs> i appreciate it and look and i know they loved your session because it, you know again it it uh, brought home to everybody just the the level of awareness you have to have, you know, when you're dealing with global teams because, you know, sometimes you can just take for granted that everybody's coming from the same, mm. you know, framework and background and perspective when you have to remember that they're not, so... What would you recommend to people coming from, and I call it a Western context, and I include, of course, Australia and New Zealand, even though you're not ge geographically Western, but Australian and New, New Zealand culture are somewhat Anglo-Saxon and, and heavily influenced yes. by Western uh, cultural tendencies. What would you advise a Westerner coming to Singapore or to Southeast Asia for the first time for work? What are some of the, uh, the key things they need to be aware of and pay close attention to? Don't think you know it all just because you come from a Western world and you know, we're very lucky that, you know, most of the environment we grow up is, is first world, whereas in Asia there's a lot of third world influence. Um, I have been guilty of it and I've seen it. Australians in particular can be very arrogant about the way they do things, you know, that, that it is better than, than perhaps some of the Eastern ways. Mm -hmm. uh, I really believe in coming in... Um, I don't know how to put it, but you, you basically come in quietly, right? Sit back, observe, learn from others, really look at the way they're doing things, you know, open up that space of understanding so that you can have a conversation about how you can make it better together. But, you know, the, the level, and, and I'm absolutely guilty of it, um, the level of arrogance that I have seen from Westerners coming in and just assuming because a country is third world like the Philippines, like India, um, even though they have such magnificent, you know, pockets of, of um, industry, you know, we just come in and expect that what they're doing can't possibly be better and, um, you know, w you know we, we, we have better ways of doing things. It's just, it's just so not true. It really isn't. Um, I think all cultures always have things to learn of each other and, you know, it is, I think, the biggest faux pas from the perspective of coming in and just expecting that, you know, because you come from a first world background that, yeah. you know, what we do and how we do things is better because it just isn't the case. And, and in the other direction, what would you recommend to uh, an individual coming from one of the countries in your footprint, so be it Singapore, be it China, be it India, Japan, yeah. Philippines, what would you advise them to pay attention to uh, when they enter a Western multinational like yours or the one that you're working for? What are some of the things that they need to be aware of when they enter companies like yours? 
uh, be aware of or be cognizant of is uh, embrace the corporate culture that you're walking into. It's very easy, I think, for some Easterners to fall back on the, their country cultures to say, well, I'm I'm Japanese and that's the way we are or I'm Indian and that's the way we are or I'm Filipino and that's the way we are. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, one, I think that um, – Increases the stereotype in the eyes of the Westerners, but also it doesn't it doesn't serve, you know, the Indian or the Filipinos or the Japanese in terms of coming into that 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 corporate Western culture. I think they need to really understand the culture they're walking into, be open to it, and and embrace it, and then try and meld it with their own style and country culture. Because, you know, I do see a lot of people in Asia who are so effective. I mean, they're they're brilliant at their roles. They're, you know, they're highly intelligent. But because they allow their country culture to hold them back, and/or their fear of making a mistake because English is a second language, mm. they just don't progress or they don't speak up mm. because they they allow that to hold them back. And it's it's just it's it's a shame. I just think we would be so much more effective as, you know, all all global companies would be so much more effective if we could just embrace each other better without uh, having one more dominant group than than the other Hmm. so how how much longer will you and your family stay in singapore if everything stays on plan as it is uh the the contract that we're on uh, finishes mid next year i mean i'm in discussions at the moment about you know what what the next move is which is potentially north america or potentially staying on in singapore Mm -hmm. um it's a little bit you know, uncertain at this moment and, you know, one day my husband and I will be very keen to move to North America. The next day we're quite happy to stay in Singapore and then the next day, you know, we talk about going back home to Australia. So such is such is the life, I think, once you once you become an expat and you move around, you just yes. uh, you deal with a certain level of uncertainty about where you're going to end up. And it's um, – the. The, the location is is all of a sudden not necessarily valued the same as it was when you moved. Home is not home the way it used to be, and away isn't isn't away per se. It's just a different destination that could be home absolutely. for for the next season, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really. I know it sounds corny, but well, sorry, that might be an Australian expression, so it might sound a little bit silly, but um. You know, home really is where the heart is. It really just is where you know where my husband is and where my children are. And, mm-hmm. and that was the big that was the biggest lesson personally that I had to learn. That and the fact that I now have more tolerance and understanding for my parents than I ever did in my whole entire life. And you know, I, <laughs> if I hadn't moved, I don't think I would have had that because um, you know I've spent a lot of time in the different Asian cultures that they grew up in, and now I understand. All of the idiosyncrasies of, you know, the environment I grew up in and um, have a lot more admiration for my parents than perhaps I would have had I stayed in Australia for the whole of my life. Lovely. Stephanie, thank you so much for taking time for us. This was lovely. I will uh, hope we have time again, uh, maybe on your next assignment, and we will talk about what it's like coming back home to Australia or... Uh, going to a new place with the whole family. I'd be interested to hear the story of your next season. Thanks thanks for taking time and have a wonderful rest of the week in Singapore. Thank you so much, Christian. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully it was useful for your listeners. Appreciate it. 
Alright, thanks. Stephanie Burrows from, well, from Australia. Singapore? Where is home? Where is home if you're an expatriate? That is a valid question. Go to the show notes to find more information about Stephanie, what she does, and how you can get a hold of her. And I would also invite you to check out the links I will post about her experience in Africa she recently had. She went on a leadership development trip to Tanzania and they climbed the Kilimanjaro. So she blogged about it. Uh, you'll find her distillation of her experience on her LinkedIn blog. Make sure you check that out. It, um, the links will be in the show notes. And while you're checking out the show notes, you're going to be on my website anyway. So make sure you also click on that top navigation button where it says contact. Leave your name and your email, please. So we can stay in touch and I can um, send you updates once in a while. We won't spam you. You don't get emails every single day from us. Um, and we certainly won't sell you any stuff that you won't need. We will provide you with value for you, for your growth as a cross-cultural professional and for your organization. And also make sure to follow us on social media. We have a Facebook profile or Facebook page that's called The Culture Guy. There is also a Facebook page for The Culture Mastery. Both work fine. And you can follow us on Twitter at Hoefele, which is my personal handle, spells H-O-E-F-E-R-L-E. -E. And there's a company Twitter handle is at Culture Mastery. That's where I share a lot of insight, a lot of valuable information, third-party stuff that you definitely want to check out. And of course, I would invite you to listen to all the back episodes that you can find on the blog. So this was the first episode for August 2016. Stay tuned with us. There's going to be more coming up in two weeks. And you'll hear about the webinar that's coming up. With that, it's bye for now. Until we hear each other again, or until you hear me, um, I would love to hear from you, either through social media or, or email. Just email me to the address getstartedattheculturemastery.com. Get started, one word, at theculturemastery.com. With that, I'd say trust your process, and until next time, bye-bye.